Hey, it's Kate. We're off today for Juneteenth, but we wanted to share an episode we made last year. It's about how Georgetown University is attempting to make amends for its role in slavery and the fight for reparations. Here it is. Five years ago, on the campus of Georgetown University, top Jesuit priests issued an apology. Today, the Society of Jesus, who helped to establish Georgetown University, and whose leaders enslaved and mercilessly sold your ancestors, stands before you to say that we have greatly sinned. These priests were addressing a gathering of descendants of slaves. We pray with you today because we have greatly sinned and because we are profoundly sorry. They were apologizing for the sale of 272 enslaved people in 1838. At that time, the Jesuits who founded Georgetown needed money to get the school out of debt. And that transaction saved Georgetown from financial ruin. But now, America's oldest Catholic and Jesuit university is trying to right those wrongs. Here's reporter Lee Hawkins. They pledged to start the process of racial healing and to work with the descendant groups to figure out how that could happen and then make recommendations as to how they should address their role in slavery. The Jesuits set out to raise $100 million to make amends for their role in slavery. But the big question has been what restitution would look like and whether it would include financial payments or reparations. It's not the question of should they apologize. They've apologized. But it's a question of what is the best path to get to healing. And there are a lot of people who have different opinions on that. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. Coming up on the show, Georgetown University's role in slavery and the fight over reparations. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. second. Yeah. David, can you turn that down? That's Davida Smith-Robinson. She's one of the descendants of the enslaved people sold by the Jesuits. When we spoke with her a few weeks ago, she'd spent the day working and teaching her 10-year-old son long division. (laughs) He just woke up from a nap and he's back on his tablet. (laughs) 
he is smart as a whoop. And I know every parent says that about their kid. I mean. And no. <laughs> well, I, I do, you know. So you homeschool your son. Yes. How do you explain this history, this history of your family to him? Oh, wow. I, I try not to sugarcoat anything. Um but I also am very sensitive about how I word Georgetown's role in it. Davida says several of her ancestors were enslaved and sold by the Jesuits, including Abraham Mahoney, who, like many of the 272, ended up in a town in Louisiana, a place so infested with mosquitoes that it got its name from the Cajun French word for the insect, Maringuin. And Davida grew up in Louisiana, not knowing much about the history that brought her family to the South. Even when I was a really young girl, I always wondered how we, as Black folks, ended up with a very Irish-sounding name of Mahoney. And there's not many of us there that have that last name. So how did you feel when you discovered this connection? It was kind of exciting um, to know. It was like, Oh wow, we can we are uh one of the few families that can trace back past the wall of slavery. We could actually now go beyond just where we were from in Louisiana and trace back to Maryland, trace back to Virginia, all of these areas and Georgetown. And tracing that back showed that Davida's ancestors were part of the Jesuit sale which raised $115,000, the equivalent of around $4 million in today's dollars. Davida believes that descendants like her should get direct compensation for the financial toll slavery has had on their families. I got to say, I'm thankful that I now know my history. That is priceless now. You can't put a price on that. However, you can put a price on... Not being able to send your kids to a good school, being limited to where you can move because of your financial situation or your credit. All of this is financial. You would be lying to yourself if you said this is not a financial thing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I do believe that we deserve reparations. It is owed. It is a debt that needs to be paid. They benefited from it. And we have not. We still have not. In recent years, dozens of American institutions have been reckoning with their legacies of slavery. Last week, Harvard published a report detailing how it grew rich from slave labor and says it plans to spend millions to make amends. This idea of compensation for the suffering and damages of slavery has a long history. At the end of the Civil War, newly freed slaves were promised 40 acres and a mule. But after the assassination of President Lincoln, the government's promise was rescinded. And civil rights leaders have lamented that broken promise for decades, from Martin Luther King to Al Sharpton. We never got the 40 acres. We went all the way to Herbert Hoover, and we never got the 40 acres. We didn't get the mule. Georgetown's 21st century attempt at reparations has been a work in progress. 
Lee says it took some initial steps. They pledged basically without a lot of specificity to rename buildings in honor of the people who were enslaved. And they also pledged to start the process of racial healing and to work with the descendant groups to figure out how that could happen and to establish the working group that would then make recommendations as to how they should address their role in slavery. A Georgetown spokeswoman said the, quote, original sin of slavery took hundreds of years to address, and it won't be a quick fix. Around this time, a group of descendants had been meeting to organize together. They held monthly calls on Sundays. And in those meetings, there were many issues discussed. Among them was how to get Georgetown to help to provide financial economic stability for the families that were affected. The group discussed several options for direct financial payouts, according to one of the group's founders. One idea was paying each of the 5,000 living descendants two and a half million dollars. Another idea was to give $50,000 a year to some families in perpetuity. Descendants like DeVita were optimistic. That money could be life-changing for her. Last year, she lost her home in Hurricane Ida, and she's taking care of her mother, her son, and a disabled brother who needs 24-hour care. And if you look at the backgrounds of a lot of the present-day descendants, most of them have it together. I mean, there are lawyers, there's doctors, there's football players. My situation, yeah, I get it. I've gone through a divorce. I have a 10-year-old. I'm a single mother. I was affected by a hurricane. Now um, I'm in the position of trying to reestablish myself. But I'm not going to waste this opportunity. Make it right with us. But the meetings soon became fractious, especially around the question of direct payments. And over time, we started to see the group sort of be divided in Maringouin, Louisiana. There are many people in that community who would like to see direct cash payments paid to their families. Uh, and it's very important to note that it's not just the people who are struggling financially, it's also some of the more white collar people who see this not as a love offering payment or a charitable contribution to the descendants, but see it as restitution. Others saw restitution as something different, something broader. That's coming up. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. Hiring with Indeed, your search is over. With over 350 million global monthly visitors and candidate matching technology, Indeed helps you find quality candidates fast. As a listener of this show, Indeed is giving you a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash thejournalpod. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
By 2018, the descendants splintered into different camps, championing different types of reparations. Some wanted the money to go directly to the descendants, while others wanted the money to be spent more broadly on charity and educational foundations. A descendant named Joseph Stewart sought to unify the camps. Here he is speaking on a Georgetown panel. I'm a fifth-generation grandson of Isaac Hawkins, who was enslaved by the Jesuits in Maryland. Joseph Stewart is a retired executive who lives in Michigan, but was born in Marin Gwynn, Louisiana. Joe grew up there, um, became a very successful athlete there, and then went on to college at Southern University. And he's done a lot of focus on racial healing and reconciliation. Stewart started to work closely with Jesuit negotiators. Early on, Lee says he appeared to favor the idea of direct payments to families. In early documents, we were able to see that financial economic stability was one of the things that the families, including Joe Stewart, believed uh, the Jesuits should deliver. But as negotiations pressed on, Stewart stopped demanding cash payments. And after a while, some in the descendants group felt like Stewart and others stopped communicating and involving them in the negotiations. The feeling that we're told by descendants was that after those people were chosen, the descendants believed that they would come back to the descendant group and want to take a vote on the recommendations that they would make to the Jesuits in the negotiations. Well, that never happened. And so when that never happened, that's when people like DeVita felt betrayed. Then, last year, Stewart came back to the descendants with a plan he'd hashed out with the Jesuits. They would form a new organization called the Descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation. The foundation would spend $100 million promised by the Jesuits, and that money would go to things like educational grants, anti-racist programs, and charitable organizations but there would not be any direct payments to descendants. In the spring, Stewart shared this news with descendants over Zoom. We have broken through between slave owners and enslaved and created a partnership that's unique. In a recording of that Zoom call in March 2021, you can hear Stewart making his case for this new foundation's vision. We have jumped all the way from the, so to speak, the bitterness of no 40 acres and a mule to a new partnership that starts to build toward a billion dollars. We are sitting on the middle of an opportunity. And I would, I would plead with all of you to begin to commit to this, not for yourselves, not for what you're going to get out of it, but for what your children's children are going to get out of it. And so I'm begging all of you, let's come together. Joseph Stewart wants a foundation that deals primarily with racial healing, not necessarily for descendants, but across the United States, um, giving contributions to the educational aspirations of descendants, but more broadly to benefit the Black American community. The blowback was intense. 
And there were many descendants who were just flabbergasted by the fact that this foundation was formed and they had not had an opportunity to weigh in on that, or that's how they felt. Some of the descendants lashed out in the chat function, demanding to be unmuted and calling for reparations. Then, just as the meeting was about to wrap... Let us bow our heads. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for being merciful unto us on today, Lord. At the end of the meeting, they had a prayer. And the prayer was, you know, supposed to be a prayer to get everybody to settle down and to come together. They came together, oh God, on the things that they did agree, and look what they accomplished, Lord. And we had- and the man that was praying said, Lord, Lord, we know that there's a there's always, Lord, a Judas amongst us, Lord. We know that there's a Judas among us, that there's going to be a Judas among us. And so the idea was, you know, that that some of the people who disagree with, you know, certain highlights of the foundation, such as direct cash payments, would be traitors to the rest of the group and, you know, sort of poison the initiatives of the foundation to move forward. And so it really, really, as you can imagine, got um, got nasty. Some of the original members of the group quit in protest. Another group of 400 descendants has since hired a lawyer to pursue direct payments. In an interview with Lee, Stewart suggested the foundation had loftier goals than helping individual families. He said, quote, What we are trying to do is much bigger than cash in your pocket, which you don't know what happened to after you spent it. In an email, a spokeswoman for the foundation said the programs it has chosen were picked by the Jesuits and descendants together. The goal is for educational opportunities for descendants and racial healing for generations to come. But this solution didn't sit well with DeVita. It did make me sick when I heard that they were going to give the money to organizations that are... um, dedicated to social injustice when they themselves have contributed to social injustice. (laughs) Like, for a moment there, I had hoped that, yeah, we are going to be the first ones to receive reparations. And to get that gut punch, it was sickening. It really was. You felt like you'd been tricked. Been tricked, you know, been bamboozled. She says she feels caught in a class divide with the more well-off members of the group. Do you think they don't understand what direct reparations mean for you and your son? I think they do because they weren't always at the upper echelons of society. A lot of them came from Maryland. A lot of them came from different parts of the world and they were in poverty, but they did well for themselves. I can't speak for all of them, but from the outside looking in, it's almost like, The politically correct thing to do is to say, donate it to charity. To say, no, don't give out cash payments to the descendants. Just make it right socially, because that's what's socially expected of them. Do you expect to ever see direct reparations in your lifetime? 
I can't say that I do. I'm not saying I didn't think we were ever, never gonna get him, but I was thinking like, okay, maybe in my son's lifetime, maybe in his kid's lifetime, if he so chooses to have some kids, maybe in their lifetime, but I didn't think it would be now. And it still isn't now. for today. This episode was originally published in May 2022. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We'll be back with a new episode tomorrow. Thanks for listening. See you then.